This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey everyone, this is Sean Daly with Green Talk Radio. Welcome back to another episode. We're talking about urban homesteading today. And, you know, there's a lot of interest these days in the idea of living in a green home that's, for example, resource efficient and using sustainably sourced and manufactured materials. But why stop there? Imagine having not just a green home, but a completely self-sustaining, eco-friendly homestead, one that provides you self-sufficiency, not only in terms of things like generating your own energy and you're growing your own food, but also manufacturing your own biodiesel fuel and generating all of your income from the things that you produce on the homestead. Well, my guest today has done just that, but in perhaps the most interesting twist in the story, has done all of it in the middle of a major U.S. city. Jules Derbase is the founder of Path to Freedom. It's a family-operated, viable urban homestead project established in 2001 to promote a simpler and more fulfilling lifestyle and to sow what they call a homegrown revolution against the corporate powers that they feel are in control of the food supply. Since the mid-1980s, Mr. Dervais and his three adult children, Anais, Justin, and Jordan, have steadily worked at transforming their ordinary city lot in Pasadena, California, into a thriving organic garden that supplies them with food all year round. These eco-pioneers also run a successful business providing fresh produce to local restaurants. They've been featured in the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times, and were recently featured on ABC's Nightline and CNN. They also blog about their homestead life and experiences at www.pathtofreedom.com. Jules, welcome to the program. Oh, Sean, thanks for having me on. Well, it is our pleasure to have you on today. I want to hear about the story from the beginning. Where did this all start for you, both you know your family and yourself personally, the idea of doing this, or maybe even take us back to the beginning of sort of, sort of the, the seeds of it, no, no pun intended, and no, then take good. us forward. That's good. Okay. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, well, there's seeds, all right, and they were, I think they were planted back in uh, my college days when uh, there was a Vietnam War raging um, you know, across the Pacific there, and we were, um, you know, mired in, in some pollution uh, problems and economic problems. So we, so I thought about uh, what my future would be in the United States, and I just was uh, part of a back to the land movement that was going on back then. That people were looking for another another way, a different way. And I got so fed up that I immigrated to New Zealand in the 70s. I just wanted to start something in a new place and a new lifestyle, and I became a homesteader. Uh, out in the country in New Zealand on the South Island, a little homestead in the um, abandoned gold town I had settled in. What's the name of the town in New Zealand that you were nearest? Well, nearest was Hokitika in the South Island, but this one had had a um, was a little town, just had a couple shops left over. Uh, the gold rush had come through there and left a couple buildings standing, and I, I made a home in one of them. Interesting. So now you're in New Zealand, and so you're an expatriate in New Zealand homesteading. What then calls you or brings you back to the U.S.? Well, I did. I went over there married, but I uh, when I got over there, I had my I had a, my first daughter Annie East, and it was like you know, uh, I don't, oh, New Zealand is 
so far away from Los Angeles, but I was from Tampa, Florida. So you're talking about crossing time zones, like an international dateline time zone. Yeah. And it was so far, it was so far away that I couldn't, I couldn't bear to, uh, to see my, my parents not have their, their grandchild, um, you know, have any experience with their grandchild. So I, I really came back to be with family. I see. What year was that? That was in 74. 74. Okay. So, so then bring us forward. So how do things go? You get back, it must've been a culture shock. Right. No, that was, that was understatement. That place was so backwards that, that, you know, going, it was not just time zones, but there was, there was eras there. We were living in a different era almost. And, uh, uh, coming back was a shock and I realized how different things were and you can, um, you know, say all you want, but it's something good about going to where things were simpler. Times were simpler. And I think that's a lot of what people are craving these days. I mean, I know personally I am and, and, uh, you know, I, I thought we were really cool having chickens in our backyard yeah, and solar good. panels, that's but good. it's a, it's a start, but I, I mean, I, I feel the pull towards it. And I know a lot of the, the, uh, listeners on this show and, uh, visitors to the greenlivingideas.com website are interested in this topic. So I'm fascinated to hear right. more about this story. So you mentioned the word pull and that's exactly what I felt too. I mean, there is a pull. Um, of, of, to a more simpler lifestyle where you can, you can be more in control than, than things out are going out of, out of a control here so, so fast and so furious that you want to, you want to say stop, you know? So there's a pull that go back to old fashioned ways, yes. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And that's a, that's a huge movement. And I think that a lot of people, this is an inspiring story of what you guys have accomplished. And for those listening in, definitely check out pathtofreedom.com. Even if you're listening at a computer right now, I encourage you to do that as you're listening to the interview. But what it's inspiring because I think a lot of people feel very, uh, non-empowered to make this right. happen. It's like, okay, certain things are, are sort of within reach. You know, you can get the solar panels if you can afford them, uh, mm-hmm. or wind power or, or, you know, whatever, you know, some people are you know, doing hydro or geothermal, what have you. Um, but there's other things where sort of the line gets drawn that this gets really, really difficult not to go to Whole Foods or, not, you know, yeah. not to get, not to buy the things that we just consider necessary and that it's not so easy to do that in an urban homestead environment. Can you tell right. us about some of the other things that you guys have accomplished there at your home that maybe, you know, most people have have not been able to do and how you did it. Okay. Well, what we ended up doing is, um, being basically frightened about what the future would be when, when the GMOs had entered the food chain and, um, back in the, in the nineties and it had gone into a Taco Bell shell that we were purchasing at the local grocery store. And I thought that, Hey, this is not, this is not fair. You know, there's something wrong here that I can't even protect my children that this had escaped into, it wasn't supposed to be in the food chain and it, and nobody was watching over it obviously because it had gone out. And I thought, hey, I can't do that. So I, I went about trying step-by-step uh, step to grow my own food. I just thought that that was the only way that I could protect myself. So we took a fifth of an acre here and I made it into a, a, a you know, veritable uh, paradise, I guess if you want to call that, mm-hmm. uh, of, ga- of gardening, vegetables, fruits, uh, everything you can think of. Uh, to, to put diet, put a diet on our table. So Jules, it was, so it was the genetically modified aspect when genetically modified foods started entering the, the food supply that that was really the tipping point for you to start doing this? That's correct. I mean, that was, that was so shocking that, that it was, it was like a wake up call, you know, somebody slapping you across the face and saying, do you know what just happened? And, and I thought, Hey, you know, I can't let this stand. I just, you know, uh, you know, you give up some control, but I, I just couldn't let, I just couldn't be an experiment. So I, I said, uh, that was it, you know, last straw, I, I, you know, quit, I quit just gardening for a hobby and, and I took it full time. So, you know, people can't do that, but I was scared enough 
that I had a little, I had some little land here. I mean, there was, uh, we have a fifth of an acre. Some people live in townhomes, but I had some land. So I thought, well, let me see what I could do. I mean, why not? Why not try something different? And, and, uh, boy, it, it took off and we were shocked ourselves, but we started with, uh, you know, growing the first year was, uh, 2,300 pounds. And then by the third or fourth year in the business of doing that, you know, I would call it a business because it was, you know, not a hobby anymore. Uh, we had produced over 6,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables and we knew we were onto something good. Yeah. Now you're doing all this on a fifth of an acre. Mm-hmm. Wow. In the city. Yeah. So there's no, no possible expansion. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, exactly. Without buying more land. So right. what, what, um, were you, was your original intention in doing that to just grow enough food for your family or did you always have the intention to also sell uh, the rest of the remaining food if there was anything extra? Yeah. Well, we, we weren't sure we could do the extra yet. Uh, when, when it came in, we, we knew we, had, we were uh, blessed. So I thought, hey, you know, Pasadena, California, uh, all the restaurants out here, people go out and eat all the time. They're looking for this. So we just made a couple calls and we were in business, you know, because people want this. And, and it was so, it was so uh, unusual because we're, you know, it's not a, like a truck farm or some far, far away place. It, was, it reminded us of like of a village. We could actually walk our produce down to the restaurants and, and, and hand it over to them in person. Mm-hmm. Or they chefs can come over and walk the garden and, and look at it. And it, 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 it felt good. It felt real. It felt like, you know, I had just gone through a couple of time warps or something. And, and the, then the restaurant in turn can be featuring that they get all of their produce, you know, from an organic family farm, which is a, would be a huge, in, in my estimation, would be a huge benefit to any restaurant. Right. I mean, in, in, a, in a, you know, cutthroat business of restaurants, you know, where they come and go, you have to have the edge. And they found this. It's been going around and this eat local um, um, movement and then, the, you know, the fresh organic movement. But we, we took it a step further. We just we're just uh, we hand off personally to the chefs, you know, to our, we, we don't have, there's no middleman or anything. So with all the scares with food, you know, that just ha- happens every year with E. coli and salmonella, uh, we I think just that and the food, food security, plus how, how good it tastes, the restaurants are way, you know, loving it. They are loving it, what we do. Now, Jules, you mentioned that the first yield was around a ton and then the f- further yields were more like three tons. Right. Uh, what are you currently producing Yes, well, we thought we would go for 10,000 pounds this year, but uh, we got a wake-up call on that. It was uh, Global Warming had something to say about it. We have such a wacky well, spring, summer, and fall. Uh, all the weather is upside down. Uh, we're either too hot or too cold, uh, too dry. Or, we haven't been we haven't been too wet yet, but we're too dry here. And so we're roughly going to probably come in around 6,000 anyway, even though we tried for something more. It looks like uh, nature has the last word on that. Mm-hmm. Now, can you give us an example of some of the things that you're growing? Okay, in the summertime, we're doing a lot of heirloom uh, vegetables, but it's just, you know the typical summer crops. But we like our heirloom tomatoes. We have peppers, eggplants, cucumbers, beans, and plus a, a lot of uh, little salad mixes. But and that's that's our main uh, summer supply. And then in the wintertime, we'll just basically go to a mescaline. Uh, um, mescaline salad mix because we can't get that summer heat. So we'll have to just go, uh, greens, just basically uh, salad greens. Mm-hmm. Now, is that enough? Just that mix of produce is enough to sustain you uh, for all your food needs for the property? Or are you then also having to go out and get or trade with other people to get other things? Yes. Well, we're into, um, definitely into barter. We would, we would love to trade with people, but it's, um, right now is we're trying to, Establish ourselves as a viable business. So we're, we're trying to, that's why I try to imp- improve on our, our uh, productivity is because we have so many restaurants and we didn't want to turn them down. 
So we're basically trying to be a viable homestead, not just you know a tourist thing or or oh, look at what they're doing. That's cute. We want to we want to stand on our own two feet. But uh, but but we found out that that the outreach that we do, and we've been doing outreach for a long time, especially with with school children and everything. But we have an outreach on the web and an outreach in person. That that took out a lot of our time and took out uh, a lot of our income to just support that. So I ended up starting an online store that that brings in extra income when the garden doesn't do so well. So some of the harvests, uh, the harvests are sort of hit or miss, I guess, as with all yeah. farmers. That's yeah. So and I was going to say because you know the idea, and it's certainly I think any percentage of income that you can generate to help offset this is good. It doesn't have to be you know a hundred percent, but it's certainly a hundred percent is something to shoot for. Um, so for right now, is is your primary are your primary sources of income the uh, selling to the restaurants and then the online store income? Is that is that pretty much doing it for you and able to uh, give you enough money to support the homestead? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we we get that, and then, and if we have to, we have events on our place here. We'll, we'll call in some um, um, uh, documentary screenings, and we'll kind of supplement our income with uh, with uh, if people want to, you know, have donations or anything or help us out on the online. But yes, that would take. I'm trying to do it all by myself and not not have to have any outside outside income. I'm not depending on that. So I, I really want to show them that we can do this. We we also had a long time ago we had a, a craft store that we had in, in um, a place called Old Town. And, and that was okay, but it just, it, it was too, you know, people don't, they want to go for the, not the handmade things, they want to go for the manufactured things, the chi- you know, Chinese, Chinese things. So it was, a, it was, it was that, that's still there, but it just didn't give us anything. So we, we hold on to it, but it's not enough. Uh, you know, it's just, it's so, we're just kind of nickel and diming some of this stuff, but that's how we do it in, in pieces. You know, we're not there all, all, it's not one thing all the way. It's just wherever we can get, uh, some income, and my daughters can go out and and waitress at, a, at one of the restaurants that we um, service, and they can they can add ec- extra income that way. Sure, and that makes sense. But I, I noticed too that you know thematically you're keeping it within the community, and that's what really makes a lot of sense. And getting back to you know if we're talking about getting back to roots, then right. that's part of it is keeping it within the local community for that locality. And you know people talk about you know being a local vor, but we can right. also extend that to you know where you um, have your job, or if you if you don't have the good fortune to be able to telecommute and things like that. Right. Yeah, interesting. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, Jules. Fascinated by the discussion. Want to hear more about this story and the project. And Well, it's not a project, though. It's your life. I want to hear more about your life and the homestead. We'll be right back on Green Talk Radio after this brief word from our sponsor. This is Sean Daly. Hang on, everybody. Back on Green Talk Radio, this is Sean Daly talking today on urban homesteading with Jules Dervais. He's the founder of Path to Freedom and an urban homesteader. Path to Freedom is a family-operated, viable urban homestead project established in 2001 to promote a simpler and more fulfilling lifestyle and to sow a homegrown revolution against the corporate powers that control the food supply. Jules, we were talking before the break about your history and what led you to being an urban homesteader and some of the specifics about the property uh, the produce you generate, uh, how you sort of work with the local economy and, and uh, as a family to make this work. Um, I want to he- hear a little bit about the, the website that you run. I know you spend a lot of time blogging about your experiences and giving tips to other people. Well, when we started it, I, was, I wanted to just uh, have something for my family to hang on to for their survival. I was thinking just locally. I mean, so local that I was just thinking my, my children, my children were here were my main concern. 
And I said, I, I don't even know if this is going to work. So I, I put, you know, I put it to the test to see if it would work. And I, and I didn't know it, so I couldn't really brag about it or talk about it because it was, it was still in the works. And then when it started hitting, um, and we started getting some success and building on it, uh, I said, hey, why don't you um, share it on the internet? Back then, uh, we weren't, I wasn't um, an internet person, but my kids were. They were, they were starting to find the internet in the blogging, uh, blogosphere. And they, they were, um, you know, looking for something to reach out to the, a, a broader community. And I said, I said, go ahead and tell them what we're doing. You know, go ahead and say, hey, we're, you know, we're growing this and that, and, and we've made this uh, successful um, turn away from the regular system. And they, they, it got so successful that people started calling us and asking us questions. And then one call came in with a, a garden club from a high school in the area, and they wanted a tour. And then, then I thought, oh, wow. I mean, I, if, they're, if this is the future generation, and it is, and we're looking at uh, children changing children's minds, then surely I want to do this. And so we opened it up, our house, uh, homestead for tours. So we, we did go uh, kind of wild. <laughs> we, we went, uh, you know, my, my, my children love the Internet in terms of connecting. And so they're, they're in charge of that. They like, they like sharing um, and giving and, you know, being able to help people with their questions. Because that's what we, we found out. Uh, we were in that, in that position first, and, and we had to ask questions. And when you ask questions of somebody and somebody helps you, you feel that hey, maybe you better pay, that'd be pay, that, pay that back. And so we became people that could answer questions for others. Yeah, that's really cool. And I have to say it's, it's neat because I think some people might hear about this project from the outside and assume that you guys might be some sort of, you know, Luddites or anti-technology <laughs> or anti-establishment. But the truth is you're living in the middle of a major uh, metropolitan area yeah. and, you know, oh, and we're – yeah, we're wired here, you know. We're wired to the hill. I mean, it, didn't, it started out. I mean, it gives a shock to people because um, you know they're thinking they're going to see one thing, but but there's like a split here. There's a the outside is so old and homey and everything, and and it looks like you know an ancient um, village somewhere. Uh, you've been you know going back in time, and then the, you step into this room, and we have you know three computers, and then the whole whole works here going full time every day. So it's a, it's a whole different style. Yeah, technology is essentially augmenting the ability to do this as opposed yeah. to it being sort of the enemy. So I, I think that that's really cool. Yeah, we're using it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's neat. So why do you think that this lifestyle, this urban homesteading lifestyle, uh, for which you guys are serving as a model, is more important today than it ever has been before? Yeah, well, you can read the newspapers or get a load of the, anything that's coming across the airwaves or even on the Internet, and uh, it's scary out there. Uh, you can see um, daily things are are not not what they should be, and and we haven't seen the likes of this, and I think in our lifetime, maybe you have to go back to the bank failures of the Great Depression. This is this is this is where the roots are, and this is where people we've had people come over here and say, hey, my my mom did this a long time ago, my grandparents uh, lived this way, and we've had foreigners come over and they said, hey, this is this is just like we live back home. Uh, we're not we're not that strange. We're the the world went off into a uh, on, a, on its own course, and now uh, I guess there's a course correction, and so we're we're looking. Uh, this retro thing is is for real. I my motto is a step backwards is progress, because um, the other thing looked like progress, but it's but it's not. It isn't. If you if you just look at what's happening to the money situation, uh, this this is security. You know, growing your own food when you go in the backyard and you pick your meal, 
And it's like, hey, where'd that come from? Well, I didn't have to bother. I didn't have to go to the bank. I didn't have to go to the grocery store. It was purely empowerment. And it was, uh, it was that uh, search for independence that we, I think the, you know, the United States was founded on was this independence lifestyle. And we think this is as patriotic as you can get in terms of being free. I'm curious to hear for people like myself, and I'm sure many others out there who are looking to do this to, to whatever degree to take these steps. What are some of the things, having been through the school of hard knocks that I'm sure you've been through in, in doing this, that you would recommend to people, like sort of top tips or, or you know, baby steps to take uh, towards this lifestyle, uh, things to watch out for? Well, that's, that's a good question. One of the hardest things people have getting around to, and I'm, and I'm talking from experience, is, is you know, where to start. Uh, you know, and, and have been confronting the negativity, like, uh, what can this do? You know, how, this is too small. You know, um, it doesn't, it's not going to add up. It's not going to matter. Well, um, then, then, we're, then we're really in trouble <laughs> because the first thing I would recommend to people is just to start something. Now, you can't do what I'm doing here because we have a different take on it and we have a different location and, and all that. We're, we're blessed with uh, different, uh, unique opportunities. But some, wherever you are, you can start something. Yeah, because you're in Southern California, which is certainly known for being right. able to, you're able to grow a lot of things there. And I'm wondering if this is equally applicable to people that are, are maybe in the north, uh, northern parts of the country where it's, it's colder and you don't have as many, uh, you know, the, the warm seasons as long and things like that. Do, do you think that it's viable anywhere or is it only because you're in California? No, I, I believe it's viable part of it. Like you have to, you have to start where you, where you find yourself. And if you're up north, this, this, some of this you can do, not all, all year round. But what I would do on the, on the, on the free time is I, I would, and I have done here, I would start craft businesses or home-based businesses. I'd find something that I could do or make a product um, or offer a service that is home-based, that, that you don't have to go away from your home. And that's, that's the cottage industry. That's old time. You know, so if you have a, lot of, a long winter period, then you would, instead of growing, you would probably be making something. Well, tell, tell, can you tell us a little bit more specifically about the, the biodiesel, uh, the machine that helps you process the fuel? Yes, we got the plans off the Internet. They were free, and, and it was um, a collaborative effort with some friends here, and we didn't know what we were getting into, but it, but it just seemed like it was a risk worth taking. And that's what the other thing I would ask, add to uh, a tip was it looks like, it looks like a risk, but, but you, every, the life out there is a risk. You know, it's a risk going to the bank, you know, what are you, so putting your money in the bank. So, As the last few weeks have shown us, yes. <laughs> right. So this is a risk, and I just thought it was worth it for my children, for my future, um, for their future. And I said, well, let's try it. So it was, it was a jerry-rigged, homemade thing out of a, a water heater, but it just seemed so logical not to waste, waste oil. You know, uh, they'd already fried it. They'd already used it and they were dumping it. So we were in contact with the restaurants. We said, Hey, you know, can we have it? They said, wow, yes. You know, that's a smart idea. So we, we, um, you know, slowly but surely, but my, my son loves it now because when he goes out there, he's the, he's the man, he's the, he's the filling station, man. <laughs> he's the service <laughs> station, man. He just, he feels like, well, we don't need this way. And, and that was just a start. So it's like, it's like one thing leads to another. And that's what, if you don't start it and, and if we, we, we did, with growing food, but we went on to solar panels, we went on to buy diesel, and now we we're into water reclamation using gray water and things like that. It's just it just keeps on growing and we have to we have to it's a work in progress and we have to stick with it. I was gonna ask about the the gray water because this has come up recently in the news that, you know, in some places they don't allow you to actually reclaim gray water legally, which is un- unbelievable to me. Yeah, but it's unbelievable. <laughs> they consider yeah. that they own it, the municipality owns it rather than the uh the home that onto <laughs> which it falls. Uh, anyway, have yeah, you run into yeah. any <laughs> have you run into any issues with that? 
Yeah, well, we're, we're talking a little craziness here, but, you know, a long time ago, that's what people did. They had gray water. Uh, they, there was, it was not a, um, I can understand their concerns, but, but, but you have to be, you have to be, um, you know, self-sufficient. You have to take matters and responsibilities in your own hands. And I just think it's, it's going to have to be something done in the future, uh, about that. The water situation is even worse than the oil situation. Uh, uh, oil, you maybe you can walk to the store and you can go public transportation, but without water, I mean, if it's peak water, we're in trouble, you know, because I'm in trouble. Yeah. It's peak water. So we want to depend on the rain. So we, we have, um, we, you know, we, we have a, in the works a way to we harvest the rainwater, collect the rainwater and gray water. I mean, if it's underground and that's, that's the safe part, if it's underground, you put it underground where nobody can get at it except the roots of the trees. And what they're afraid of is it being um, used wrongly. And that's, that's a, that's a case, you know, it's like, uh, you have you can have a car, but you can have a car used wrongly. You know you can have a you can have anything that's that is used one way. You can another person can use it wrongly. It's just it's just regulations, and they I don't think they know what to do with it yet. You know it's it's just really strange because some of the people are ahead of the curve, and and they're pushing the envelope, and other people, uh, mainly the codes and everything else, haven't really figured out what to do with it. So people take it in their own hands. Yeah, well, that's why I certainly appreciate people like yourselves your family being out there on the bleeding edge of this uh making you know making the powers that be think about this and and hopefully uh, gaining uh, some attention towards uh, these issues because i think they are going to they're important now they're going to continue to be important moving forward yeah and it's it's and it's dangerous to to think this way but for some people might think that that this is um so so um uh, you know, rare and that you're, you're going to cause trouble. But the problem is this is, this is the norm back 200 years ago. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not, we're just, we're trying to be like the, the old timers and, and it's, and it's dangerous to the corporations because we're trying to be free of that. We don't, we say thank you, but no thank you. You, we don't want to be part of your system. This is what we, we, we stake our lives on this kind of way of living that, that our ancestors did. And, and I think that's yeah. freedom. Yeah, and I think a few years ago, or even six months ago, maybe even three months ago, people would have thought, you know, oh, that's cute. It's optional. If you're, yeah, if you're an eco crunchy, granola crunching tree hugger, then this is something for you. But when we see the major banks in the country failing, and people see that, you know, that which you consider secure, or you've always taken for granted is now gone and not perhaps so reliable, it, it changes people's thinking. And so this, like, as you said, I think it really does provide uh, the ability to have a little bit more independence and a buffer from that, regardless of what happens. You don't have to be a doomsayer. This no. isn't about negativity. And, and in fact, to me, it's about, it's very positive. Right. Um, because what you're doing is, you know, really taking the family unit and, and extending it in an uh-huh. ecologically centric way. And you're also embracing the community. And so it has a lot of positive aspects, irrespective of any financial buffering. So yeah, really, really cool. And well, I could, I could talk to you all day about this, but I don't <laughs> want to take too much of your time. I know you probably need to get back to uh, managing uh, the websites and the homestead and everything else you're doing. Uh, I, I have to ask you though, you guys, are you coming out with a book or anything to teach us how to do this? Well, are uh, we, We've been asked that for many years. Uh, why can't we do that? But it's really hard to separate uh, living this way and then and then uh, separate yourself and then writing a book. Yeah. So one person had an observation. He said, "Your website is your book." I mean, we uh, it is so extensive and it goes back so long, back to 2001, that we feel it's it's online. And if we can't help people, it's through the internet right now. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so well, this, so the then the website is the major source of information, and you might you know you might want to think about compiling the information from the website into a book because I know sure. that there are many organizations that do that, and it would be another form for you to get the word out because we really you know appreciate the information is great. Everybody should definitely visit the website. It's pathtofreedom.com or www.pathtofreedom.com. Uh, got it has great information, and uh, in whatever form uh, you choose to disseminate that, we certainly appreciate it. Okay, well, my guest today has been Jules Gervais. He is an eco-pioneer and homesteader and the founder of Path to Freedom, a family-operated, viable urban homestead project established in 2001 to promote a simpler and more fulfilling lifestyle and to sow a homegrown revolution. I want to thank you again for being on the program with us today. We'd love to have you back again in the future. Thank you, Sean, and I would love to be back too. Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.